Hello and welcome to another episode of Rocklass Radio. On today's episode, we have with us a very special guest, Iki, uh, who I've been an admirer of and he's a thought leader. I've always loved attending his spaces and uh, knowing his views on the current NFT trends and his philosophy on art and so much fun. <laughs> he has a really great sense of humor. So welcome, Iki. I hope you're doing great. You- Yeah, no, good to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you today? Right. I'm very good. And uh, let us just mention, uh, pay respects to the Queen. <laughs> uh, it was very sad to hear about her yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, we all, even in India, the Commonwealth, uh, we haven't seen any monarch uh, who has... been there in power for such a long time 70 years yeah, <laughs> yeah that is i don't know there must be 14 us presidents or something like that and that's <laughs> at least a couple of wars yes yeah it's quite something okay so let's begin uh, i'll give an, a quick introduction about iki and then we can talk to him more and ask get to know him better iki is born in london UK United Kingdoms is a digital artist with years of experience in commercial and 3D industry and exp- he has expertise in innovative dis- display mediums such as holographic installation and AR his work takes cues from both minimalism and conceptual art but subverts the aesthetics and tropes of both tradition to provide a unique commentary on the values of digital art domain. Yes. Yeah, plagiarism. That sorry. That about sums it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> His plagiarism series, uh, explored with, uh, explored what digital art is and how, uh, provenance and a new valuation model treats infringement and copycat culture. Uh, the title meta plagiarism is recently exhibited alongside Andy Warhol at the contemporary um, Calgary. Where is that? Where, where is this? In, in, it was in Canada, yeah. Contemporary, in, at the contemporary Calgary. That yeah. is so, alongside Andy Warhol. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was, um, it was the first NFTs with Bloom, with the collective that um, contemporary Calgary had, um, put up, which was quite cool. It was Philip 22 with Christie's and, um, uh, Katie Lang, and a bunch of interesting kind of people and creatives. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not that unusual if you think about it. I mean, Warhol was pop culture. Um, NFTs are somewhat pop culture. Um, the work makes a 
you know, it's got a conceptual narrative. It's trying to say something. So uh, I think it was quite a, if there was any artist you were going to be exhibited with, it would probably be, you know, someone like Andy Warhol, you know, you're not, uh, I don't see much digital work kind of sitting alongside more classic, you know, Renaissance, mm. or, you know, it does sometimes, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a better fit. I actually think the whole the whole digital art movement is a lot like the pop culture movement. Um, if you exclude kind of the, the generative art movement. So where can we find this? I'm at your Super Air and your foundation, also the Bloom website. Where is this particular work? Where can we show the audience? Uh, you can you can find that one. I think that one is on foundation, but you know. It's not meant to be experienced on a screen. It's better experience. It was created for a hologram. So um, oh. it's, it's better to see it in its kind of um, in the physical world. Um, so so I think I've got a video of it on my pinned tweet somewhere. In uh, I see a metaplagiarism on the foundation. Let me just share it. Yeah, this was this was a part of the three part series. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. But it's meant to be a hologram, right? Which is why you've got a black alpha. Yeah, so it's not. Wow, that, so it's it's meant to be a hologram. So can people like? Um put the hand through it is how how does it appear yeah, it's it's hypervision so it's led fans so um, ah. you can see an example of it if you, if you look at my um my twitter in my um pinned tweets uh and you open up my pinned tweet and you go down to the next link yeah if you uh, Yes, there it is. Ah. That's, that's at the um, Metaverse Summit. Yeah. So you, you can be as large as you want. It's modular. They decided to put it in a prison, but um, you, you can do it in numerous ways. That is very innovative. Uh, we don't come across many holograph artists, hologram artists. I well, mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a hologram artist. I'm just, I'm just, um, an artist. And, and I, you know, and I, and I, when I create work, I think about the ontology, you know, the language, what it's trying to say. Um, and depending on one of the beautiful things about the digital art medium is that you have so many different ways to experience it. You can experience it on a screen, in AR, in virtual, uh, as a projection, um, you know. So when you create work, when I create work, I always think about how it should be experienced, right? And that dictates what the design language should be. You know, um, this wouldn't be just a simple hero object and a black background if it wasn't for you know, um, hologram. If you look at something like tutorial, 
uh, latest uh, piece on super rare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's going to the um, Beijing Contemporary this month. Uh, it's been a very large screen, um, 20 foot, 20 foot, I think, in, um, outside the Beijing Contemporary. Um, so, yeah, different different thing altogether. That's it, yeah. You'll definitely want to open that one up because it's portrait. Yeah. Well. It's like a cube of uh, made out of platinum or something melting, melting and coming, forming back again. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 based on um a very famous photographer, Hiroshi Sugimoto, um, and uh, who I'm a big fan of. That's kind of what the, the design aesthetic was about, but it's um, it's a million. It, there's nothing except for one million spheres, so everything you see is just a sphere. So the cube is actually just spheres. The background is just spheres. So um, it was how can you use one thing and a very simple technique like advection, and you know create something that feels complex. And it's really a a narrative around, um, you know, what the lack of critique in the uh, NFT space means, you know, when the algorithm is your only art critic. So, you know, the question becomes, people are just lumping tutorials now. So it's kind of a play on that to do something simple that has the aesthetic, the look, feel of a of a tutorial. But um, you know, by picking one specific technique and that's it, and reductionist, you know, taking it down to just nothing but a sphere. So um, yeah, so that was it's a different different thing for a different um, you know way to be experienced. That is amazing. You just feel like keeping at looking, keeping on looking at it. Just like your other artworks, it's very, uh, there's, there's a common thread amongst all your artworks that they are very shiny and uh, you clear in what they see and very minimalistic. So, yeah, I... they're, they're, um, they're not always, you know, some the stuff that I've released so far, they, they do tend to be quite mesmerizing, but that's because I take on kind of classic compositional form which is you know symmetry uh, and and animations are paced you know um but that's just if i'm doing animation you know if i'm doing still work it's a different thing altogether you know um i recently did i don't really people don't see my stills very often except for in the physical world but um i did do a uh, Rick Houstonbrook called me out. He's having a comp- competition for his work self. I don't know if you know that piece by Rick Houstonbrook. Um, anyway, and he, uh, uh, yeah, that's the plagiarism series. Um, yeah, and he um, he wanted me to do something for that. 
and I, uh, uh, you know, did my take on that. And that's a, a very different um, type of work because it's a still, you know, so it's much more about creating something that feels tactile, you know, that you want to explore. Um, but it still kind of takes on that classic minimalist approach. So, yeah. So, Eki, how how did you get started with art? How long have you been doing it? Um, well, I've, I've, been, I've been an artist for as long as I can remember, but I started out a commercial career in my late teens um, with Island Records UK, and I worked on Amy Winehouse's album Frank and then her second album, Back to Black. Um, between kind of creative and art direction. And then I went into Universal from there and and did that for a long, long time. Um, and I worked with many artists with typical creation breathing, quite a unique role, um, kind of in between. And did a bit of AV and did a bit of live stuff. And, you know, um, and then, um, yeah, and then it kind of got too much and I left and I, I did my own um, thing. The, the bottom line was you, you couldn't really um, make a career money that easily um as a 3d or digital artist at the time because we lacked provenance you know so we were unable to um kind of sit among our peers as more traditional artists um so you do you know you do what a lot of us have done you know you kind of find ways to utilize those skills you know some people go into cg some people go into film and you know some people go into design and you know architecture and so on and so forth so you know, that's what I did. Um, and then I became a theory generalist. I got a little bit, um, uh, I struggled a little bit with, um, substance abuse, you know, uh, and I left and I, I took some time for myself to kind of, um, gather my thoughts, you know, uh, and I decided that that was not the, the environment that I wanted to be in. And I left and I started a family and yeah, so, um, yeah, I kind of just freelance and then, um, and then of course, you know, the, this, this blockchain technology, um, non-fungible tokens, and of course the ability to, um, link art to them, you know, through the meta data on the contract meant that we could have, um, provenance, you know? And so, um, it was something I was excited about and I jumped in, um, as soon as I found out. And the rest is kind of near history, you know? And the Bloom initiative, how did that come into the uh, existence and you are the founding member? Yeah, the Bloom Collective, there's 10 founding members. Um, the Bloom Collective is basically a bunch of people that met on either through commercial work or um, or within NFT via mutual discords, you know. Um, and it's basically just a group of like-minded professionals that um, care about the same things and have the same mission. Uh, and so we decided to form the Bloom Collective um, to kind of help drive that adoption narrative forward and to start addressing some of the things that are really barriers for increased buy-side markets, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of, um, that was kind of what, what it was initially created for, you know, and, and to, and to be a, a collective marketing platform, you know, 
for for us as artists as creatives um and yeah it's kind of just grown from there now we have a, a, a community of professionals and um you know uh, uh it's a it's a it's a good place to to hang around yeah and uh these are the people that i go to for advice you know whether it's feedback uh, creatively constructively because they're people that are my friends that i can be honest with that can be honest with me um and that i respect and i think i think that's something i recommend to everybody is to um, not just to ask for feedback from random people they don't know you they don't know your work you don't know what their technical ability is you know um find people that understand you and your work and what you're trying to do and um and and, and form bonds with them so what are the barriers you mentioned uh, barriers with uh, for which the bloom collective was created uh, the adoption narrative yeah yeah i mean barriers for the buy side i mean look the nft market is you know 90% if not more crypto native so you know there's a lot more supply than there is demand right so um the question is why right why is large institutional art funds that spend more a month on art than the entire nft industry has since inception mm -hmm. um why are they not interested what what's the reason um and it was about understanding that you know and looking at the the issues and the issues are you know things like lack of correct protocol for conservatorship uh you know um storage issues loan provenance uh provenance um you know uh valuation models inconsistent valuation models you know um and so someone has to begin to talk about these things because you know if, if 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 it's really good saying oh yeah we're so early and in 10 years you know people when people realize about digital ownership it's gonna moon you know no it's not no, it's not. I talk to these people. I've consulted with art funds and institutional art funds for a lot of my life. That's not what they think. They're very aware of what NFTs are. They're not idiots. <laughs> you know, they're, they're very aware. You know, they've looked into it. They know. They've chosen not to invest. So the question is why? Yeah, why? Yeah. So, so nobody's really answering that. So I just see a lot of influencers saying, wag me and we're early, you know, and, and the, the truth is we're, we're not that early anymore. Um, uh, and you know i do believe in it um but i believe as i believe it will be um absorbed by the wider arts and cultures you know and then nfts will take on a, a whole new lease of their own and maybe not just be about the art use case you know or you know so do, do you think it is because they have already set system and they have a hierarchy and uh, things are already set for them so they don't want to go to a place where there are no middlemen or uh, where uh, things are something new or non-traditional. Are they afraid to enter? Um, they're not afraid. You know, they're professionals. They're risk managing. You know, you, you listen, the way you value traditional art varies depending on where you go but fundamentally it's about provenance right tracking the artwork you know and authenticating it back to the artist studio if you can um it's about um consensus and critique therefore historic significance um and it's about 
primary and secondary sale data. You know, um, that's how you value art at a very basic level. Um, so we don't have any of that. You know, just because a Beeple sells for $69 million, if someone else hasn't bought it for $69 million, it's not worth $69 million. I don't care what crypto native traders say. And, and, and these institutional art funds aren't idiots, you know, um, respectfully, you know, and they're not going to just turn around and go, oh, because you tell me it's worth this much. It is. It's not. But, so the valuation model is completely wrong. It's ridiculous. Um, now, there are many examples of where it's right, where people are selling regularly and there's kind of a natural buy um, uh, and sell kind of um, demand, you know, cycle that, 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 um, that kind of makes more sense, which is good. Um, and, and then there is, so there's the valuation model, then there's loan to provenance. So, you know, I, I exhibited my work alongside Andy Warhol, but that, that's not displayed anywhere on the contract because for that to happen, the token would have to be sent to the gallery. And it's hard for us to go to a collector and say, listen, we've got this thing. Can you just trust me and send this token to a random address? Right. So you can't split ownership and location on the contract where you should be able to. Um, I did talk to Manifold and Fast Tackle about this, though. And there are potentially solutions coming where you can loan it and it will come back to your wallet and all this kind of stuff. So it's not that it's not being addressed, but it wasn't. So that's a big thing, because how can you um, show provenance? I mean, it's, it's all nice for us today, but I'm talking 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 500 years. Yeah, but what's going on today, people won't remember. Yeah, you know, it's just how it is. It's life. So that's an issue. Conservatorship is another one. You know, you don't hand over administrative rights, you know, like restoration. So Stefan um, uh, sold a piece to the Utrecht Museum in, in their primary collection, and, and they had no idea how to conserve it. You know, what happens upon death? What happens upon this? Who, who's going to have the administrative rights? What happens if there's an issue with storage? You know, we know that it's not per that suffers with permanence. You have to pin to IPFS. And so many, you know, there's so many different. So there are these technical issues as well. So there's these technical barriers. There's a valuation barrier, um, uh, and then you've got kind of um, this consensus thing. So like you know, the traditional art world, you know, that there is a handful of galleries that that, that means success, right? Pace, MoMA, Guggenheim, you know, and the likes. Um, so, so without them adopting, the rest of the art world won't, won't, won't jump in. This is just a small, tiny, tiny, tiny little piece. Yeah. Of, 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 of that world. Occasion. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's not even, you know, it's nothing, you know, Rothko sales, one artist last year is like the whole market for NFT. You can't, you can't, you can't compare it. There's no, um, there's not enough people looking at uh, ways to really address that. There's a few people now that are starting to, you know, X-Pace Gallery, Neil Digital, for example, in China, huge market in China. They have their own crypto issues. There's got to be accessibility for purchase in fiat and things like that. There's got to be better curation. So, I mean, there's a, there's a huge list. You know, the other big issue, of course, with, with digital art is it's very unorganized. You know, if you, if you, you know, when you buy art, you need to understand where it sits in, in its collective, right? So, you know, generative art has an art history dating back to the 1950s. It makes sense that something like art blocks, 
would be successful in the traditional sense. 1950s? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Generative art goes back to the 1950s. Yeah. So there's a history there. We're writing history now. And, you know, where does your work sit? You know, photography is well understood, you know, because that's been a medium that's been used, it's digitized, but also been a medium that's used for a long time. So it's a little bit, bit understood. And the subcategories within it, you know, landscape, portrait, glamour, fashion, so on and so forth, has kind of been understood. But, you know, when you look at animation, say, long form, short form, abstract, you know, still life, whatever, you know, it's not really well understood commercial work versus traditional art you know if i can animate a really cool little character that looks like a pixar thing i mean the crypto natives might think it's worth you know 200 ETH, but the, the art lovers in the traditional art world won't it's a cartoon it's not saying anything you know so so you know if it's art centric like work say tony bubble maybe you know so, so it's, and I'm not, I'm not saying this to, you know, point at anyone. I'm simply, I think there's space for all of this, but I'm saying when you talk about adoption, these are all of the kind of variables that you have to consider. You mentioned, so we have provenance in the, in NFTs. We have kind of many of the things. Pro provenance. <laughs> we, ha we have, you know, a little bit of provenance. We don't have proper provenance. The main, I think, issue is of the secondary sale, as you mentioned, the people's sale and who is buying it from that particular seller. So I think, don't you think that with time it will get better when like, like people have those secondary and... Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, you know, secondary sales have been pretty good this year, actually. They're up about 75% from last year, according to the Art Basel report. That doesn't include collectibles. Right, because if you look at collectibles, obviously there's a lot of secondary market. I'm talking one of one specifically. So, so um, you know, th they're good signs, but you need multi-platform. You need work to be exhibited in museums, galleries, public spaces. You need, you know. So, um, yeah, I think we're on the right track. But, but, but again, primary secondary data is one factor within an evaluation model. It's not the entire thing, and and the risk is so um, severe for an institutional art fund that operates in fiat. They've got to manage the risk of the art valuation. They've got to manage crypto risk. You know, it's it, it's a minefield. That's why I think giving them fiat exposure is a is a great thing. Nifty Gateway does that really well. Bloom did a really good job on Nifty like that. We sold most of our work um, with fiat. So um, yeah, so you know. Yeah, it's going in the right direction. But again, you know, um, people have to, 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 to take ownership and accountability of these things because if you don't, no one will. It's very, like I said, it's very easy to sit back and say, eventually it's going to get better and blah, 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 blah. But, but you know, someone's got to do it. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So the, it has given accessibility to a lot of people worldwide, like those those artworks or people from those backgrounds wouldn't have come up in traditional world so quickly. So what do you think about that? And how, how does the art world think about getting to see artwork from places which they wouldn't have thought it would come from? 
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's a really big positive, right? Um, like I said, you know, tra- traditionally there, there, there is a far bigger challenge in terms of, um, you know, getting yourself out there, being seen and, um, and yeah, there's talent everywhere, um, huge talent everywhere. Um, so, so yeah, I think, it, um, I think it's a positive thing. Uh, I think the immediacy of digital is great. You know, there's an exhibition, I'm hosting an exhibition in LA for super chief for women of color and, um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, I, if I like the work, it can be displayed. So, so, you know, I don't have to send it. I don't have to put it in the mail and, you know, so <clears throat> yeah, I think the immediacy and seeing, uh, everyone having kind of the same opportunity to shine in some respects or relatively the same, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's one of the, the great, wonderful things, you know, uh, I think in terms of um, who's been successful, though, I think it was a, a first come, first serve. You know, I think a lot of people that were here early managed to build the kind of respect and uh, provenance. Yeah. So, what do you think? How can a one of one artist be successful and sell more NFTs? When you when you find out, tell me. Um, you, 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 unlike in the traditional world where you have a gallerist that has a network of collectors that markets you, that displays your work, you have to do it all yourself. Here. So number one to be successful is you have to build a platform because without a platform, um, you know, social media and so on and so forth, you're just not seen and your voice isn't very loud. So, so number one is you, you need to build a platform. Number two is you have to be true to who you are, not follow, you know, the next trend, because you'll never be the the trendsetter, and therefore you'll never uh, spark the um, the you know what's hot right now bug. You know, anybody can make a, an X copy like artwork, but every time they do, we say it's like an X copy. <laughs> You know, and, 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 and that's the point, right? You know, that adds to his branding. Yeah. I mean, and so it's kind of like, doesn't mean it won't sell, um, but you know, find who you are as an artist and, and be true to it and stay there and, and then invest time. You know, if you've done number one and number two, invest time in, in kind of, um, communicating why your work is significant. You know, um, I'd say those three things are probably the most important. Um, yeah. And don't waste your time following accounts on Twitter or what have you that are, are just influences that, you know, it's not, a, this is, it's, what's the point? Don't buy a lottery ticket. You have better odds, you know, buy my art, buy my art. I'm going to follow you and comment and GM every day. Just because you hope that I might, you might be seen. But you might be liked or retweeted. It's stupid. Unless that person is adding value, really adding value, then then don't follow them. Don't give them a platform. You're, 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 you have to be accountable for the space. I, I love that about you. You know, you always address 
what's on everybody's mind or what people are usually having having to do uh, in your tweets and you're very uh, uh, clear and blunt about it so i love that well, yeah, so if not there's, there's nothing there's nothing to, to to be shy about i'm not being rude i'm not being offensive i'm not pointing my finger at somebody i'm, I'm just saying some general things that are important in my opinion so people think this is the best way so if not this then how does one reach to collectors or potential collectors well for a start you, you don't dm them you know um you know it's interesting how many collectors do you know and follow that you know with certainty by the type of work that you create and i would challenge anybody with that same question because I can guarantee you, you're following a bunch of people that buy art that looks nothing like your art. Why do you think it's going to suddenly change? You know, um, there's a great account. Uh, he's a very nice collector, a good friend, um, Truffington. Lord uh, Truffington. Lord Truffington. And he's got a great resource. And it's a resource of lots of collectors in their wallets. And you can go into those wallets and you can have a look and see the type of work. Once you find someone that might resonate with you, you know, um, you might want to engage with them. You know, that's a good start. Take the opportunities when they are, build a connection. Um, because what you're trying to do really is just spark up enough, enough of a connection that you can be seen. That's it. That's it. This idea of shilling is, is, is that word is disgusting. Don't use that word. Shilling means trickery it means selling snake oil we're not selling snake oil we're marketing ourselves because the gallery won't do it for us there's a difference you know um so don't hard sell anything if you need to hard sell it you're doing it wrong and if something mm. doesn't sell i mean on your own super talented um artist who on your own from from the bloom collective um incredible work. I mean, mind-bendingly good work. Um, and it just wasn't selling. It was not selling, you know, because it just wasn't connecting. And then wakes up today, two pieces. Right? These aren't cheap pieces. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like you're not putting one ETH, you know, this, these are, this is premium work. You know, just overnight, you know, because patience, c connecting, you know, that's, that's how work sells in the real world. It doesn't sell overnight. This weird delusion. People need to get away from these unhealthy behaviors, you know, and comparing yourself to others and all this stuff. And, you know, and people say, oh, but, you know, uh, this is my income. And I couldn't think, you know, I said, well, what were you doing before NFT? Would you be homeless without NFT? You know, find another means of income. I know that life can be very hard for many people. And I empathize with that completely. But let's not pretend like without M NFT, you're, you're a dead man. Because if that was the case, you, how lucky are you that this even came around? Talk about lucky. What would you have done? You know, where there is a will, there is a way. You know, so, so you know, don't, don't be reliant on, on NFT for your income. It will, it will be poison. Poison for your creativity, poison for your anxiety, poison for your relationships. It's unhealthy. You know, um, you have to make sure that you do this because you love it, 
Otherwise, forget it. It's hard work. Absolutely. Um, and about staying true to yourself, there are many people, or suppose me, um, I like to always explore and experiment with different mediums and styles. So <laughs> I, what, what do you think about that? Is, is, is the person's whole collection supposed to look like one another pieces or, Man, uh, you know, you know what, we're, we're what, Look, look, look. We're, we're, we're artists, you know, create what you want to create, you know, uh, that's who you are, you know, you can't fight that. But the truth is, um, I mean, I struggle with this too, because, you know, my work is kind of conceptual digital, but that means it does, it lacks a certain cohesion unless it's a body of work within one collection. And, you know, the advantage, um, the advantages, excuse me, the advantages of that is that, you know, you can be a lot freer in terms of, you know, your, your creativity. But the disadvantage is, is you're not as easily identifiable. And that's important. You know, if you're talking about commercial success, you know, being identifiable is important. You know, um, so, you know, you do what you want, but understand where the pros and cons are. And I've got to be honest with you, generally, um, not always. I mean, I'm talking about myself here, right? So I'm a classic example of who this doesn't apply to. But generally speaking, people that haven't found something that is cohesive yet are still developing. You know, they're not really fully cooked yet. You mm -hmm. know, and that's, they haven't found their, their direction yet. Um, like I said, not always the case, but just more often than not. So it's not wrong that um, collectors look at a body of work and it's all over the place. You know, uh, I like this piece, but I don't necessarily like the artist. You know, um, it's just a, a trade-off. You've got to accept it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you, can't dictate, you can't tell people what to like and what to buy. You know, and if your work is all over the place, then you, you lack the ability to build foundations. I know, because I struggle with it. You know? So how did you overcome that? I didn't. I just, okay. you know, it's a choice, right? It's a choice. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of work, digital couture. I do, you know, fashion stuff. I, I still like commercial stuff, you know? Um, and then I've got my art. My art is generally reductionist, minimalist, conceptual animation, occasionally stills, but you know, it is what it is. You know, you kind of have to like Icky and me as a brand to really follow and understand where I'm going. You know, it's not like you can just see a piece of art and go, oh, that's an Icky. You know, so it's kind of like, uh, it, it's, it's a challenge. And you either kill yourself trying to put yourself in a box or you just accept it. And, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm a really slow cook. You know, and maybe I'm also not cooked, despite the fact that I've been doing this for well over 20 years. Yeah. So, 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 you know, maybe, maybe it's just, I haven't found that thing yet. Maybe. Um, I kind of like to sit in the nothing. So yeah, it is what it is. If you can't. Is accepting it and living with it. Yes. Be Being happy with it. They're out of your control, aren't they? I mean, you know, or you change them, but, but. 
again, just understand what that means in terms of how it's going to impact you. you know? Yeah, so there are trade-offs, as you mentioned. Uh, one is <laughs> letting yourself free and trying out different things. But then again, what will the collector think? And then if you want to be on the one particular cohesion or one particular art style, you feel limited. Yeah. But yeah. then it does the other benefits. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's a tricky one. <laughs> All right, let's explore that together. So what what is your process of creating art? Um, I spend um, 90% of the time uh, conceptualizing. So reading, studying, thinking, um, making notes and ideas, thinking about questions that we don't ask. Um, and then once I feel like I'm onto something, like there's something to explore, I, I, I go into kind of an R&D phase. So uh, I, I look at all the same kind of stuff. I pull inspirations together, make mood boards, things like that. Mood um, boards? Yeah. Yeah. Just what is like, that? Like, you know, like boards with images. Board. Mm -hmm. Okay. Boards. Okay. Yeah. Um, white boards, blue boards, mm -hmm. white boards. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, from that, I kind of get a, a feel of what I want to do. And then I start more technical R&D. So if it's an animation, I try and think, how can I make this come alive technically? So I might, you know, get into my 3D software and play around. Uh, and then I go into, you know, uh, once I feel like I'm ready, I uh, it's very quick. You know, once I feel like I'm ready, it's kind of composition, uh, rendering, you know, um, bit of post-production and, uh, and, and I'm done. Yeah. You know, and as part of conceptualizing, I might think about what, what the work, how it will be experienced, you know, audio, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, but my, I mean, I'm notoriously a low minter, you know, I've minted four, well, five works technically, one edition for cause and cure, which is the first NFT I minted actually. Um, Why so? <laughs> uh, because because it takes me time. Because I believe in provenance, and I believe in the long term. So you know, I believe I don't want to put anything out there that I'm not that I don't entirely believe in. You know, um, it's just the way it is. Um, mm. So because I'm spending a lot of time building a platform. Mm -hmm. you know, thinking more one year, two year, you know, building a platform, working on Bloom, taking opportunities that come up, collaborating with people like Neil Digital, you know, uh, working with galleries, working with art funds, you know, it's a lot to do. So, um, yeah, I'm in no rush. You talked about art funds. How did you, uh, so what kind I of association yeah. is there with the art funds is it traditional or are there people who are exploring into nfts it's digital, uh, it's uh, traditional yeah I, I i did that when i left um my job and i kind of did a bit of 3d journalist work and, and i started to consult yeah um try and get back into art and that was the first job i got and i just kind of gave me some experience and then i just kept doing it for a while um 
yeah, uh, it just taught me about the trad art world, about how, how things are valued and, you know, at the institutional level. Um, yeah, you know, and well, I, I mean, I make it sound easy. I do art fund, you know, but <laughs> it's a bit more to it. But, you know, it, it depends on, I, I bucket all of those types of things together. Um, but yeah. Is this like an investment fund, venture capital? Fund who's trying to can be in the invest in yeah, it could be an investment fund. Yeah, usually you know a large you know institution, investment bank, or you know, will have numerous funds for different things, different asset classes, and sometimes they have art funds. Yeah, so they're investing with the expectation of returns, or just for beautifying their walls. Um. They, 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 they miss investment, um, but yeah, they, they some uh, large banks and things like that do take a lot of pride in their collections and do show them around their their physical sites. Um, but but I mean, it's to invest, it's to make money. It's the same. It's the same reasons people buy out an NFT. How many people do you know that buy out to put it on their wall? Hardly. So I also hear that most of the artwork ends up in uh, ports and like storage places. You need. Know, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, J J Japanese Japanese um, banks are renowned for it. You know, Nomura. Um, you know, um, yeah. Sometimes it does. It's expensive to store, um, but yeah, if it can be exhibited somewhere in a in a, you know, why not? You know, um, it's also cheaper to insure in a lockup. So, uh, you know, you've got to take that into account when you, when you assess the potential appreciation, if you're talking about really, you know, fine art. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's an investment. So I have heard this financial clause where people in America can deduct their tax income tax. Uh, when they purchase an, an art and resell it to the museum and they get, they get a good amount of deduction in giving away that work for charity. Does that happen in UK and Japan as well? Um, probably. I mean, I'm not an accountant, uh, so I'm not too sure. Um, no, it was never anything that I needed to worry about. So, yeah, professionals that do that for a living. So, I, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know too much about that, to be honest. You know, I, my question was because is there, I don't think that's the main motive, but uh, claim f just for the sake of tax deduction, are there, is there a majority lot who's doing that or is it just for the pride of owning it and reselling it in future? Sorry, could you answer, ask the question again? So this factor for purchasing the art so what basically happens is they purchase the art from the artist, price it up 10 times, and then donate it to a, uh, to a charitable trust. So what the American law does is they can deduct that, in, that amount from the tax that they have to pay to the government. Sounds like fraud to me. <sighs> no, uh, this happens in India. Value, with cash. Valuing it up 10 times and just donating it to a charitable trust sounds like fraud to me. <laughs> Something legal. 
that pe- that's actually factual that's factual people do it <laughs> yeah i have no idea yeah. so in india what happens is uh, you can claim tax deduction when you do um, donations in cash so when you're giving money you can deduct that from the your payment Got it. okay so that i think that happens in uk as well but this is very peculiar about us if 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 there's something if there's something you can do with with your taxes in in the uk damn right someone's doing it <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> so that's not that's not legal with commodities in india and in uk i believe but that happens in in us with art so i was just wondering that something <laughs> yeah i don't know about it but um, it's very funny yeah well you know if you can why not you know um <laughs> so if that <laughs> yeah that is something uh that's just a fun fact that i want to share okay let's talk yeah. <laughs> let's talk back about your art i have i have pulled up a piece uh tell us the process what was the thought process behind it which is ah yeah so this is um part of that same series you know the plagiarism series um and really what this was it was a play on this um at the time you know Maurizio Catalan did that piece comedian yeah, which was a banana strapped to a, a wall and um people were using that image on the nft twitterverse as kind of a statement of what is real art you know but that's not what the piece was about you know catalan's conceptual piece was about you know the double entendre between comedic prop and you know uh, global trade you know to 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 simplify um and so i kind of thought that was quite interesting it's kind of like you know the outside world looking into nfts and what do they see they see apes ape banana you know it's quite interesting and so i started to think about you know the conceptual narrative of you know um collectibles are like the silicon bosom you know of the of the nft oh, yeah <laughs> yeah and so um and so uh, that that that's what the work is about it's kind of a reference to to that you know and um within our own world within our meta you know um you know what is deemed acceptable is not under any other rule you know of what is acceptable in the the traditional world it's almost it's pub, it's almost the global trade versus our you know our little neck of the wood so this is my comedic prop so yeah that's uh, that's what that one is about in a nutshell what, what are the bubbles on top and the bottom for um that, that that's that's symmetry so so ah. so it's it's a compositional choice and if you look at the first piece um in the series the one we first looked at you 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 you'll notice the sun or the sun uh, the genesis or the plagiarism yeah so there you go there's those three bubbles again in the middle of the piece ah yeah okay so see it's just a cohesion between the work because it's the story continues um and then the final work is that central bubble really yeah mm. so it's kind of just going in 
as you as you tell the story, they're, they're meant to be viewed alongside one another. Mm-hmm. You see it from the bottom, then the top right, then the left in, in a line. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, how did you how do you design the music for it, or is that a collaboration for music? Yeah, I didn't. I um, the first one was a, a incredible, incredible artist in their own right, to stomp. Um, who's amazing, um, uh, but also has a very uh, a great career in audio. Um, was very kind um, and gave me the um, did it for me uh, for the first piece. Uh, and then the, the last two I worked with Ondi, who's you can see the split there, and Ondi did the audio for the uh, for the second and third piece. Um, and so I kind of chose to work with him. Yeah. So that, mm. and actually, it's got, it's really, it's got really nice histories. If you go, if you go to that first piece, there's a very interesting. Um, you see what I listed it at, um, and I think that's important. Um, yeah. Mm. So, so this, I mean, this is what I'm. This was back in when, July twenty, twenty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you can see how many bids, right? And it's about letting the market dictate your value. You know. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that for me was more important, you know, um, and that's been a, a trend, you know, uh, and the higher you, you base your price, the harder that becomes, you, you lose a lot of that engagement. So it's, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. That's an important point on pricing. Yeah, Definitely. Let the market decide the value. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's interesting. Foundation's interesting because it that's one and a half ETH on July twenty one. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's so sold for one point. Same, but the 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 dollar value changes on foundation. Yeah. I, I was I, for some reason I thought the ETH value changed, but no, it doesn't. It's locked in, which makes sense. So they price in ETH. So would you recommend people to drop their value as low as possible and then uh, let your platform and the the community that you've created decide the value? No, no. I, I recommend an artist values their work to sell if they want to sell it. Sorry? Uh, an artist should value their work to sell, you know, if they want to sell it. You know, um, it's about understanding the value. Um, if you come here and fresh and you've never sold anything before you've got to give people an entrance point and you've got to build engagement you can't just say oh well i'm a big superstar in the real world you know doesn't mean anything here you know you need to start from the ground up and you need to humble yourself um uh you know and and changing your price every now and again is is you know not ideal you know you're better off just pricing it to sell and seeing what the market thinks and using it as a sign of what you need to do in terms of building your brand. Too many people come here expecting to take over the world in a night. It's just ridiculous. Do you know how much hard work goes into build doing those things? You know, if you think those people that all those people that you see who are selling for huge amounts of money or, or people like me in the kind of more middle tier, um, you know, don't think these people got lucky. 
overnight because the, the, look at their accounts look at what's been going on there is a long history yeah mm -hmm. don't be under any delusion whether it's the hundred thousand plus followers on instagram that they've got they've built up over the last 10 years or whether it's their commercial experience or whether it's the engagement they've created for themselves in a short time on on twitter whether it's the value they add you know it's it's not uh it, this this is not easy this is not an easy job I was reading up about X copies because he's got the, his official artworks on the on the passes for NFT London. Uh, so he has a history of uh, more than ten years. He was on he was famous on Tumblr, and he he started minting on Super Rare back in 2018. So yeah, selling for uh, dollars, like one or two dollars, like Tezos. <laughs> You know, like early days of Tezos. Mm. Yeah, that's right. So uh, he's also from London. Have you got to interact with him or? I have actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. I know an origin of him. Is he doxxed or is he like Banksy? No, he's not doxxed. So uh, he he was he was announced that okay this is X copy or how did you figure out okay this guy is X copy? No, I knew he would be there. It's just courtesy, isn't it? He's not doxxed. Yeah. There's many people mm -hmm. you meet in real life that aren't doxxed. Mm -hmm. you, you see all the pictures of NFT, you know, New York and stuff. And people have got avatars on their faces and the photos. And, you know, there's a courtesy, isn't there? Someone doxes you. It's a pretty malicious thing to do if someone doesn't want to be doxed. Yeah. Mm. So, Murat, Murat packs like that, isn't he? Sorry? Pack. Murat. Ah. Yeah, Murat Pak. You know, anyone that, that, that knows Pak's story knows who Pak is. There's no, there's no secret there. Can you tell us the story? Well, he's, he's been around for a long time, and his and his company Undreamnet has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. A bit of simple searching, you can find him presenting for Undream. <laughs> Photos of him, you know. He's not, you know, he's on. He was on Vimeo ten plus years ago, you know. Um, so, you know, if you choose to engage in the mystery, you can. You know. All <laughs> right. <laughs> Doesn't so, mean uh, it doesn't mean I'll dox him and start posting photos of him, you know. I am getting uh, Aziz Pak Murad. I ha ah, okay, got it. Uh, the one who has um black circle uh, on his profile. <laughs> Murad Pak. Pak M U The Legend M U Pak. Yeah, I mean, got it. I have seen. I have seen. I've I've been following him on Twitter. Probably the most successful NFT artist of all time. I think he's sold more than anyone else, including people. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't. I didn't know about the fact. Yes, uh, three hundred and three seventy, three hundred seventy-eight thousand followers. Yeah, and he and he, <laughs> he also he also has a Twitter account called Archelect, which is an AI. Which has over a million followers. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, wow. Pax, Pax a very interesting character. Oh, uh, what do you think about Banksy coming on NFTs? He has his own website, I guess. What do you mean? What What do I think about Banksy coming on to NFTs? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? That, that Banksy Banksy was uh, on a NFT platform called Portion years ago, um, selling physical work. Um, so. I mean, if Banksy wants to sell NFTs, he can sell NFTs. He can sell anything. <laughs> well, he's just an artist. Yeah. He's very, he's very um, well respected. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great, you know. If you're into street art, he's, he's one of the big names, right? Not the big I am reading his book. Uh... Yeah. You enjoy uh, it? Yeah. A vandal uh, come artist come some person who brings out social issues in a very comedic way. So I just love he's, 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 yeah, he's, he's very interesting. Yeah, and his work's very interesting. I've been to a couple of his um, exhibitions. The, and a person who's most famous artist yet doxed or not known who is the actual person and I do, people I do, like I, I do have to just tell you that I, I have to get to a meeting um shortly. yes I know I know you usually do these for like double the time but um I have so much going on and I didn't want to let you down so I thought I'd come for at least um no out. problem yeah. so let's uh you are going to be there uh, at NFT London so yeah what topic yeah, I'll be speaking at NFT London. I'm a bit confused. I mean, I, I was meant to be talking about um, the valuation, um, but, uh, you know, which we touched on earlier, you know, about the adoption narrative. But um, you know how they are. They're like, they grouped me with some people who are very interesting, but I don't know if that's because it's going to be a panel or... So I'm waiting to hear um, what the details are. But yes, I, I will be speaking at NFT London. That would be awesome. I'm also looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to see you as well. I'm, I'm also going to be a speaker there. Yeah, what are you going to be speaking? <laughs> so that the question which I asked you, how how does uh, one of one artist, how to sell art as one of one artist? So that, that was my topic. Yeah. yeah. So Good I... Topic. So I, I thought of choosing a topic which I want to learn more about. So yeah, that's, that's why I'm doing a research. That's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, asking the same question to amazing people like you with a lot of experience and finding out different ways. I'm just, I'm just uh, like you. I'm no different, you know. <laughs> but very insightful. So, all Thanks. right. Uh, uh, I'm just going to go quickly through the uh, different questions uh, which I had planned up. Well, what are your artistic influences? It'll be a rapid fire then now. <laughs> yeah, we can rapid fire. Um, there's so many, you know, digital greats like Raoul Marx. Um, you know, I mentioned Hiroshi Sugimoto, um, photographer. Uh, you know, a number of 
Tim Walker, photography, um, uh, fashion, Chanel, um, you know, music, Bjork, um, art, um, Juan Miro from Surrealism, um, Bosch from Renaissance, uh, Minimalism, uh, Everybody, um, uh, yeah, so many. I mean, it depends on what movement, you know. How do you think? Expressionist, um... of course, yeah. I love Pollock and Rocco. Oh yeah, I I love that. that They're not I love influences them too. though. They kind of they just kind of I just love them. I guess they're more they're, like I think more like, uh, they're more like anti-minimalistic. <laughs> yeah, um, kind of. Yeah, I take my um, my inspiration from kind of the world around me. You know, from science, from life, from relationships. You know, mm. that's kind of where I get my my kind of inspiration, I suppose. How do you think we can onboard non-crypto natives to NFTs? Address the valuation model, loaned provenance, uh, and accessibility uh, outside of crypto. Fear. Um, many people in Banksy's case also had never visited museums. Well, he started buying his artwork online 10, even 10 years ago. So if something is hip or popular in the culture, I think they can, people can just come in and find a way to get it. It's not that you have to be in galleries and no people in galleries to get it. What do you think? Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it. So how... <laughs> What counter questions do you get when you talk to a non-crypto native about NFTs? Um, I don't get many counter questions. I get I get a lot of um, it depends on how you pitch it. You know, I, I, I make the distinction between collectibles and the art use case, and I talk about provenance, and that's it, and just say this is art that you can buy if you like art and it's uh, digital, but now it has provenance and that's it. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't overcomplicate it. I also tell it in ways like, suppose you could buy a brush of uh, Jackson Pollock or his initial paintings when he's, uh, he's uh, starting off right from the beginning and then have a provenance about it. That is one thing that I say. Second would be um, you can you can display you can show the ownership of a digital artwork which wasn't possible in traditional uh, ways. So, uh, but, but it's very tough, you know. People around me or in India, for them, collecting art is a very something out of the world. Why? Like, why to collect art? It is for free online. Just go and see. I mean, it's, it's just an attitude. Like, art is a hobby. Are you artist is uh, being artist is not a serious job. There's a difference between buying art that you can furnish your home with 
you know, buying a rug or buying furniture or, you know, that's a very different thing, isn't it? Compared to, um, you know, or in the Western, the more developed markets in the West, buying art to actually, you know, furnish your home. It's very personal, and you, and, you know, and own, you only spend m real money, you know, significant money on that kind of art if you love art, you know, if you're into art. Um, so there's, that's not any different, you know. Um, digital is even less so because you don't have very many display mediums, you know. Uh, you know offering utility like prints and things like that is quite nice, you know. Um, mm. so, yeah. Makes sense to me. It's weird, isn't it? Like spending yeah. on digital art, like why? You know. And also, I feel it's better to talk to people who already like art instead of people who are not, uh, who don't find value in any value in art. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, forget yeah. it. I mean, yeah, you know, not not the world. The world isn't isn't the market. You know, it's 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 serious people that love art are the mm. market. Not not not. Not everybody. <laughs> that idea that it's everybody is crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it follows trends. I mean, digital digitalization. You know, in the nineties, internet was new. You know, you know now. You know, metaverse will be like that. And I can imagine in twenty years, thirty years, you know, people thinking that digital art is the only art. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. You know? And there's another thing about licensing. Uh, how? What are your views on licensing digital artwork, or do you see any ways we can do that? Like casinos need uh, digital some uh, animations yeah, in the background, or some hotels, elevators, or nothing new. Sorry, that's nothing new. I mean, we've been doing that for years, and hospitality is is rife for that. Um, you know, look at Dream LA, look at what King of Midtown's doing, Tommy, you know, that's a lot mm -hmm. of hospitality blending. Look at Ross from Fan 3, um, you know, concert visuals and yeah, that's not unusual. I think that, that's just digital, that's just digital kind of commercialism. And so with, with NFTs, there'll be a provenance also like that, that can be one aspect of it, but it's already being done. So that's okay. How, how do you think? How can an outsider approach these places um, for licensing or just show their art and like take a discussion forward? In other words, uh, with it, it, NFTs... It depends, doesn't it? It depends on who, who, who you're trying to reach. You know, it's no different to any other business venture. You know, you mm -hmm. find out who the key people are, you contact them. You try and provide credentials in your contact message and you, you know, and that's it, you know? Um, and they either like it or they don't. Most probably if it's a cold call without someone you've met, they probably won't respond. Mm. Right? It's, it's kind of, you know, uh, there are agencies that do that kind of thing and, couple of other ways in but i mean you know now we're kind of deviating we're kind of talking about commercializing work and that's not really what i'm about you know i'm mm. I'm, I'm an artist mm. and i create art for art and mm. the fact that it sells is great but that's not why i do it <laughs> if i wanted to, to do commercial if i wanted to commercialize my digital work which many people do there are many industries to do that 
graphic mm. design, CG, you know, um, I mean, loads of advertising, there's loads, loads of opportunity for the artists to, to, to yeah. their skill sets. Yeah, I, I got a, a feedback or somebody suggested to me in one of the spaces. So I, I just thought of running it across to you. My next question would be, how is the art scene in London and um, how do you some how does one get an um, gallery representation or so? The art scene is amazing in London. Um, digital art scene, not so much. Uh, uh, how do you get representation from a gallery? You, you, you contact them and you you show them who, who, who you are. You know, um, it's not easy. It's 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 very, very difficult. You know, you need to have some some credentials. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably start in galleries that aren't that great. You know, you try and not sign a ridiculous contract, and you work your way through. You know, or you get curated. You know, you talk to curators who have already had those inroads, who are curating formal events, and uh, and they curate some of your work, and then you start building your your credentials. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What is on your bucket list next? Ooh, some sleep. Um, <laughs> uh, bucket list. Uh, not much, to be honest with you. I just kind of, um, you know, I'm quite, I'm quite old now. <laughs> um, surviving a bit longer would be good. Um, having a, a healthy life for, for my family and I, you know, um, there is no bucket list as such. Everything that I wanted to do, I've done uh, in terms of experiences. You know, I've traveled, I've uh, got to work in cool things and with cool people. Um, I would love to, uh, I would love to reconnect with my muse Bjork. Um, that would be amazing. She's just released some new music. That would be cool. Uh, I'd like to, um, I am curating, I am hosting exhibitions, so that's not really a thing. I wouldn't mind doing an, uh, an interesting residency somewhere, you know, a solo show. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and something, uh, you know, a number of philanthropic um you know i've got a um i i I like to do things for others so yeah something something philanthropic is there any particular cause in philanthropy or many yeah many i mean the first nft i released i raised eighty thousand for um cancer research Uh, i think cancer affects so many um, cancer prevention and cancer research. I did it with CRUK portion, um, and uh, uh, and I also um, like to even the playing field um, and get people out of foster, so orphans, homeless, and orphanage, mm. because there's so much opportunity in people as individuals. Uh, and so you could really be losing out. The world could really be losing out by not giving people the opportunity to be themselves. So uh, I quite like the idea of orphanages or homeless. What is your favorite food? 
good question. Good question. I love food. So everything from, you know, Japanese, like uh, sushi, ramen, through to um, Asian cuisine, you know, curries, um, Thai curries, uh, meat dishes, classic steak, French stuff, you know, steak and chips. I like fast food. I like pizzas. I like Italian food. There's, there's too much. So if you were going to, if you were standing on an island and you could choose only one food oh. and one item to take, which one would you take? Gosh, one food to eat every day. I mean, whatever you pick is going to be a disaster, isn't it? Eventually, you're going to, you know. But uh, if you just had a name. Probably something with a lot of spices, you know, something with a lot of flavor. Because then at least I can savor it. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably a curry. And one item, my glasses. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, your your senses are all we've got. <laughs> so if I can't, don't have these, I'm, I'm really in trouble. You know, I won't even be able to climb for a coconut. What are, who are the three people living or dead that you would like to have lunch with? Uh, living or dead, um, Bjork, uh, David Bowie, well, I, I could pick Amy because she's dead and I'd just love to see her again, but if I, if it wasn't someone I knew necessarily, um, There's so many great minds. Maybe Ricky Gervais. All right. And why? Why did you name these three? Uh, Bjork, because she's an exceptional artist and an inspiration. David Bowie, same thing. He's just an interesting personality love to pick his brains and that's my art creative side and then uh, Ricky Gervais because uh, or, or Joe Rogan because they can just talk and they can make you laugh um, and they can they're interesting engaging and I feel so like, you do listen to podcasts uh, I don't really I watch Joe Rogan on YouTube sometimes yeah, yeah I like him a lot Awesome. So, um, what question would you ask them? Uh, I would ask them what they are currently curious about. Wow. So, what are you currently curious about? Um, compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. That's a new term, I mean. Compassion fatigue. You know, something, you know, this idea is, let's say you see something that's very violent or very scary. 
Um, and it's it's horrifying. It's a very unpleasant feeling. But if you see that thing over and over and over and over over again, like a horror movie, you don't you no longer feel that way. There's you have fatigue for the compassion, and that can be with something violent, happy, sad, you know, because we're very immediate now in our culture. You know, tolerance and empathy is lacking. There's a lot of separation and segregation. And I think that's down to compassion fatigue, you know, because people are identifying as a group identity instead of individualism. And I'm a, I'm a big advocate of individualism. I don't like group identity at all. You know, I don't like being a other white background or whatever, brown, whatever you want to call me, um, male, uh, straight with, you know, I, I don't like that stuff. That, that stuff means nothing to me. I don't even need mm. to know it. We never need to talk about it. It won't change my engagement or my relationship with you even a little bit. So um, I don't care about your color. I don't care about your race. I don't care about your sexuality. I'm not saying they're not important to you. I'm just saying for me, they're not. I care about you as a person. I want mm. to know what you think. And I, and I don't believe that another person that looks exactly like you with the same life experiences would think the same as you. I think you're completely unique. And so, and so that's what I care about. I, I, yeah. Wow. What you mentioned Joe Rogan and his personality and about his videos. So what, what else do you like about his personality? I, I said it, he's curious. Mm. You know, he's like a child and, and, he, and he kind of, he kind of takes you on that journey. You know, he's, he, he asks questions. He's very unjudgmental. Someone can be saying the most wacky thing in, you know, to him and he'll genuinely ask, but he does it in a way that's very um, assertive. You know, he's not, he's very direct. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. If he doesn't agree with something or he thinks something's stupid, he says it, but he's also got, he does it with an open mind. And, and, I, and, I, and I enjoy that. I feel like I go on the journey with him. Mm. And I often, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, you know, we don't have the same political views, for example, but, I think I think he's a very rational person. I like that. I like people that can have discourse on anything and not be offended. Mm -hmm. I think people are um, unfortunately offended a lot at the moment, and that's sad. It's sad that 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 um, we live in a time where there is so much to be offended about. What country or place would you like to travel next? Um, Japan. Um, Why? Probably Japan. Yeah, because because it's so different. It's just so unique. Um, there's so much beauty in that culture. So uh, yeah, probably Japan. Okay. Uh, what 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 are what are some tips that you would give to our viewers from your life experiences or um... what tips would I give? Do 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 as I say, not as I do. Um, be, be uniquely you. Um, don't lie. Uh, be kind to other people. Do service for other people. That's it. What What is your morning routine? I get up at about 
between 5.30 a.m. and 7, depending early, on... Early, that's very early. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I I do the usual, the hygiene, you know, um, and, I, and I get to work, unless it's the weekend, uh, in which case I'm with the kids. It's very simple to create. <laughs> I, uh, every day is different and I do what I think is most meaningful. How do you face the blank canvas? Yeah, uh, I try not to approach a blank canvas without a plan. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's different when you, when you're a painter, let's say, and you can let the paint kind of take you somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I think with what I do, with the type of work that I do, you know, 3D, and that, you, know, you can kind of just have a play around. But I usually like to have some kind of plan. Otherwise, I, I invariably will begin to feel very frustrated. Yeah. It's a tough one, though. I think everyone goes through that. And there are some people who know exactly what to do. And there are some people who just go with the flow of the colors. Well, if you do what you do, you know, if, you, if your body of work yeah. is cohesive, you've always got a plan. Yeah. That's kind of the dilemma, isn't it? Uh, if, are you a fan of Banksy? I like Banksy, yeah. yeah. So would you like to meet him? And what would you talk if you met him? I have met him. Um... You have met him? Yeah. Wow. And when I met him, I told him the story of how I nearly ruined one of his works in Kingston Hill. The story, <laughs> a, a, a very sordid, drunken story. And I was very young. Um, and we laughed about that. And that was it. How, how did you get to meet him? Or how did you know that, okay, this is Banksy? Uh, he has a group of people uh, that work for him, the Rats. They're called like the rat something or, you know, they're like his management that verify the work and authenticate the work. And um, and we knew someone back in the day that was associated with that and then through a mutual friend. And, um, and I wasn't told it was Banksy. I wasn't introduced to them as Banksy. Um, I was talking to them. Uh, I recognized the voice. I'd heard the voice. How? Before. Uh, well, well, yeah, his, his voice has been on a few things. Yeah. Um, and I, um, yeah. And I, uh, just mutual people. And then I realized, and so I told them the story and we laughed about it and we never, I never acknowledged that it was him. And that was it. That is so cool. No, that is on my bucket list. Maybe it wasn't him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's really amazing what he does. Uh, as I'm going through the book, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just counting my days to come to London. <laughs> is, that, is, and, that, is, uh, that, is that the kind of art you like, street art? Uh, yeah, but the place where he's coming from with his artworks and the way he displays it, the mischief in it. Uh, I like the all those aspects, the whole whole package of that. Yeah, yeah. The the rats, the the, the conceptual. He's very conceptually driven. 
Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. Also, it's um, doing a graffiti on a wall there is a, is on the bucket list. Of course, there are legal places. <laughs> but yeah, have you done? Have you done uh, picked up paints and done graffiti? Have I, have I done graffiti? Uh, when I was young, I tried it, like spray. Yeah, I tried it. Um, we used to play around on the train tracks, and you'd get in trouble with it. There's a group, British Transport Police, the BTP. You had to be careful that you could walk down the end of the platform, the train platform, and just walk down and go through the tunnels and just hide. And then, you know, when the trains park up for the night in the train station, you can go and graffiti the trains, you know? Um, so I, I did that with some people a couple of times. I was far too scared for that kind of thing. And, um, and yeah, and, I, and walls, but uh, yeah, it wasn't good. I just did it. It was just being young. And, I had some friends that were good at it, you know? And so I kind of went around with them. But um, no, I wasn't like a graffiti artist or anything like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thrill, right? It's a dopamine rush doing <laughs> doing something like that. Yeah, what it is. Think? I mean, there's a lot of legal places. You can... Yeah, it's incredibly, it's it's amazing. You know, it's, uh, when it's done well, it's, it's really something. I, I mean, I love the stencil work that, um, uh, you know, Banksy does and people like that. Mm. Yeah. What places in London would you recommend for art, culture, or NFTs? Oh man, so many. You know, uh, art culture. I mean, the whole of London. Uh, visit the galleries. You know, the Saatchi, Tate Modern. You know, these are good galleries uh, for contemporary art. Um, Barbican Centre. You know. All of that neck of the woods near Waterloo. Very cool. Yeah, there's so, there's so much. The art is everywhere. In, 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 in. That is amazing. Okay, so that was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Um, looking forward to have you on our spaces, be a part of your spaces and see what new artworks you create. And I'm just looking forward to see a whole journey ahead. And I'm so excited and happy and thankful that you came for the show today and gave all your insights. So thank you so much. Is there any words to conclude with for the viewers or any, any comments that you want to make? No, just thank you for your time and uh, sorry I couldn't do, do longer. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Wish you the very best. Thanks for tuning in. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram to get updates on the new shows and to participate on live recordings. All links are mentioned in the show notes. We will be back next week with another fantastic episode.